your friend, the therapist. On this podcast, we're skipping the small talk and working to destigmatize mental health through intimate conversations with everyday people about their mental health journeys and how they stay well in a world that feels like it's falling apart. Thank you so much for being here, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. My guest today is Hannah Brents. Hannah is a therapist with a private practice in Massachusetts. She also has a background in religious studies, yoga, and meditation. Thanks for being here, Hannah. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have you um, because you were one of the first kind of religious trauma therapists that I connected with on Instagram and just felt this like instant kinship. So it's really fun to be having We've had many other conversations offline. It's exciting to like share some of our conversations with the world or the tiny corner of the world. Um, I would love to start, since this is a podcast about wellness in general and destigmatizing mental health, I'd love to start just with what wellness means to you. I think there that can be a loaded term, especially for those of us in the yoga field and meditation and therapy. Um, so what does wellness mean to you and how do you take care of your own well-being? Yeah, um, I think wellness for me is lately, uh, and this has evolved and continues to evolve, um, has evolved recently, but I think most recently my wellness really centers around Um, ironically, not being around screens. And Mm. um, I notice how much my, my, like, overall well being is so intricately connected to not being uh, on a screen or using social media or things like that. And, And so really how that that wellness piece has impacted my life most recently is that it is really forcing me to choose what else I'm going to be doing because it's crazy like how much of a time suck you just like a time warp you enter into and so you know choosing to you know be going to the gym um, or choosing I do a lot of knitting uh, or crafting things or just like exploring or being spending time with people um so it just it feels like lately most recently wellness for me is so so inextricably connected to stepping away from technology yeah yeah and I'm really curious because I know that you have um a practice that's fully virtual right is that correct your therapy clients are all virtual yeah um and you have a pretty strong social media platform as like many um, business owners kind of need to have these days. I'm curious how you navigate that balance. Yeah. So the, so I'm on YouTube and Instagram and then I have like website blog stuff, but, and, and that keeps me really busy and, mm-hmm. um, and I have help with that. And I, from, I would say from the beginning, I have been pretty good around, like around my typical work hours of like, um, being, doing like, uh, social media work stuff versus not like what I'm can be overall pretty good about that, but notice, um, how very obviously 
how when I get really loose with those boundaries, um, I start to have a harder time sleeping. I start to be a lot more irritable and, and have a lot more anxiety. And so most recently I had a spout of like severe anxiety related to some my social media presence. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I wasn't sleeping. I'm a great sleeper. And so that for me is like, like, no. And so I wasn't sleeping. I was just like, I was like obsessively thinking. I was, you know, I just, I was so insecure. And so I just was like, enough, I'm done. I'm so done. And so now, um, it's been probably almost a month now. Um, I, on the weekends, I'm not on any social media personal or professional. Um, and I would say like tend to keep that quite like during the weeks, um, because my working hours are a little bit different. I will just find that I, I like will almost try to challenge myself. Like, "Mm, how long can I go without like picking up my phone? Or like, ooh, how long can I go without looking at Instagram or whatever the thing is? I'm like, ooh, can I go to this workout class first? Or, you know, whatever. And then it, and then once I get back from the workout class, I got to like change and get ready. And then I start working and all of a sudden it's evening. And, you know, and so it's just kind of like this thing that snowballed and the people in my life recognize a difference mm. in me um, when I take serious space from um, from social media and from technology. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. And I, I find, um, I have a really hard time finding that balance because social media is where my business is in a lot of ways. And it's where I've met some really wonderful people like yourself. Like there's some really, there can be really great things. And it sounds like what you're experiencing. I know what I experience and lots of my clients that there is a disconnection if that is like the only thing that we're using to connect with other people or it it starts to in my experience lead to this disconnection from myself as well um like the screen becomes like the whole world mm-hmm. and it's that's just not that's not all of our lives yeah no and i it was even last night like i was um kind of wrapping up my work stuff, uh, or maybe it was two nights ago, I was wrapping up my work stuff on social media and at the same time was DMing with a therapist friend who is also on social media. And I just was at this weird moment where I was like, we were in the middle of a conversation and, but I was like ready to be done. And so I just got off the app and texted her and I was like, Hey, I'm off of Instagram. So continuing the conversation here on like regular texting, you know, um, and, or like even outside of work, um, I really only use Instagram personally for like knitting content. (laughs) Um, And so, but you would be surprised. Like, it's just like, I could spend so much time just like looking at knitting content and not be knitting. And it's so crazy. Yes. Yes. And it's, I find it's interesting now, like having the um, perspective as a a business owner, owning a private practice that like, I kind of see the game of it all. 
mm. a little bit more that like you don't necessarily see when you're just on the consumer side that, mm-hmm. that like all of these things are built to keep us hooked yeah um yeah and it takes a lot of self-awareness to be like am I actually getting what I need and want right now yeah. out of right. this right yeah, yeah. And I've seen it in my work with clients as well. Um, I've had clients who come in uh, for like some, you know, kind of mild anxiety, body image stuff. And when we start to like, you know, when we start to dig in, it's like a lot of times the the voice of like some of that, that inner critic, some of those, that inner, um, that mean voice. Yeah. is about like what the beauty standard is and whatever it's like often from their social media and and so it like the the essentially whenever they you know kind of took it on themselves they set up these really strict boundaries around themselves on social media uh they like kind of stop we almost stop therapy like pretty soon mm. after because all of a sudden they're like kind of good again yeah. right like it's just, and, and so in my like wellness, um, kind of I'm doing a lot of meditation. And so I'm doing a lot of observing lately, mm. just like observing. And I've just been so surprised at like what I've been noticing whenever I step away or like whenever I use it. And I'm like, what is happening in my brain mm. whenever like I'm, you know, using this, like how, what is this accessing in my brain, you know? And so, yeah. So for me, like wellness lately has been so much about, um, getting off of screens and like doing, you know, what I can to sustain relationships that are far Mm -hmm. from me, um, which happens through technology, but, you know, I guess, doing that and at the same time like really challenging myself to like be you know here in in the Mm. world the physical kind of world around me yeah I'm curious what you notice in your meditation practice like if you don't mind sharing a little bit you don't have to get too personal but what comes up when you're observing yourself engaging with social media versus not like what do you notice is the difference in your, in your mind or your body? Um, I can just like, it's just so like clear. I think, you know, I woke up this morning, I felt great. I was, you know, I was excited to have our conversation today. I was going to a cycling class. And so I was feeling really good. And then I kind of check in with stuff, you know, the business, social stuff, whatever. And then um, I, I see something that, you know, kind of tr- like triggers a thought in my brain. Mm-hmm. And so like basically from then on, I'm then like my meditation, my meditation practice throughout the day is then like, hmm, I notice insecurity. Hmm. Mm. Oh, I notice, ooh, competition. Like this is my meditation practice today yeah. is like really recognizing how like seeing one thing that triggers this thought for me, like then spirals me. And so like, it's really just like being with like, as in recognizing, naming specifically 
Ah, yeah. Okay. Competitive. Okay. See that or mm. Mm, insecure or you know, like these things. Um, yes. Yeah. I think that's really powerful. Like I um, have practiced meditation and yoga as well. And I think that there comes a point where something, at least for me, it's something clicks where like, okay, I don't need to be on the cushion or on my mat or whatever in this formal practice in order to be practicing. I think Mark Nepo says something about like his meditation practice now is just in the daily living of his life, which sounds like what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there are times where I do try to sit intentionally or mm. practicing um, standing or seated, um, sorry, standing or walking meditation. Um, but I would say for the most part, like now it really happens like as a, as I'm living my life and noticing mm. in the moment what, what is, what's arising, what yeah. am I noticing? And, you know, and it's, you know, sort of a process and just, I think that that's the, it has been a really big um, practice for me lately has been the noticing, like the naming specifically of something. And then it's like, I was just, it's like, and then next. And for me, like the then next, when like explaining this, talking about this with clients yesterday, it's like that then next is the like, okay, I notice insecurity. And now, or like next, I'm I'm getting in the car to go to cycling class. Um, mm. Or like, and okay, notice competition. Next, let's jump in the shower and get ready for work, right? Like, it's like, it's like that. Then next is, it's not that dismissal, but it's like that. Not, I'm not going to stay like wallow in it. I'm not going to, I'm just like kind of accepting it. It's like, mm. just because I named something. That is present in me doesn't mean that one it's gonna change it or like make it leave and two doesn't mean that it needs to like be anything more than that yeah yeah there's like this fluidity to our emotions our thoughts right like I I know in my work with clients um you know as therapists we're often like helping people sit with their feelings And I think people are often afraid that, well, if I sit with it, if I really open myself up, it'll just swallow me whole. And I don't want to be the person who is just always angry or always sad. So I love that, like, okay, here's the insecurity. And now I'm going to class, right? Like both and kind of like our emotions can exist within all the tasky things that we have to do in our life. Well, and like, I think on what you're talking about, the, the accepting of something like in the really, the noticing I find is also really like noticing that there is a plethora of things that exist at the same time. And, um, that like it, even if it sucks, it's probably like not continuous. Like there might be, you know, your glimmers, like it might be a blip of something that of a moment that is a reprieve and you know the way that you know this is was framed in some of like in some of my therapy sessions was like it's okay if in the back of your mind like you you're like okay have this blip of reprieve but in the back of my mind I know that this thing is waiting for me it's like that's okay Mm. you know it's like but 
now in this moment, there's relief. Yeah. Yeah. I know that you're doing some training, like some further training in meditation studies right now. I'd love to talk about that because um, I know I'm you're training with people that I really admire. I'd love to hear what, what the training is like, what brought you to that specific training. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I would love to talk about that because I actually haven't really talked about it much. Um, oh, yay. <laughs> and yeah, so I'm doing a two-year meditation program um, th- uh, called, it's the, oh gosh, it's a long, it's MMTCP. And I believe that stands for Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Certification Program. <laughs> and, um, and it is led, it's, uh, led by Tara Brock and Jack Cornfield. And, um, it is intense. Um, I think that I just, so I was, when I was deciding, um, it was a year and a half ago now, I was like, okay, I feel like I'm ready for another clinical uh, kind of piece or training. And I was deciding between a couple of different things, uh, potentially EMDR, somatic experiencing, and um, in this mindfulness training. And I was just really torn. I was so torn. And in the end, I just decided, you know what? Um, I could do any of these clinical trainings at any point in the future, but this is the one that I think might make me a better human. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I chose this one like a year before it started. And I just, it is, there's so much to it. Like there are modules that are released every month. There's like supplemental readings that they offer. There's a monthly podcast that, um, that are, is in support of, um, the material for that month. And then you have like a monthly uh, mentor group, a monthly peer group, a racial affinity group. It's just like, there is so much. And as in addition to your daily practice. Um, so it has been, um, it's been, I, you know, I started, we, we began in uh, March of this year. And we finished, I believe, January-ish of 2025. Wow. Um, yeah, and so it's a long time. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, I don't know. It, um, there's so much that has come up, uh, so much that I've learned. I've learned a little bit about, like, some of my perfectionist tendencies. Um, mm. I've learned a bit about, um, yeah, I, like really the the meditation, like you were saying, um, in daily life, and um, and it's been really awesome to bring that also into my clinical practice, and like really be using that with clients and uh, who might not, you know, meditate on their own, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I was curious how you are integrating that into your practice. And I know you're a trauma therapist or a lot of the work you do is with trauma and how you integrate a trauma informed approach with your clients. Mm. Well, so, um, we, so there is a lot of talk about trauma within this uh, certification program itself, um, that will be coming, but I would say like one of the things that, um, we talk about with someone is like, you know, I preface it. I'm like, why don't we try this exercise? might feel a little weird. 
Um, it might, and then while, um, like while we're going through it, we'll give like really specific instructions of like, um, for the next 10 seconds to, you know, be here in this or for the next minute, we'll be doing this. Um, and so there's some really specific instructions depending on someone's kind of comfort level in our rapport. Uh, I might really just explain like what is, what we'll do and why, like what's, what's the kind of idea behind that. Um, and then like, really, I just say, especially when someone is um, experiencing a lot of distress and agitation, I'll just say, I'll invite you to close your eyes. I'll have my eyes closed, but uh, if that doesn't feel okay, you can look down at your lap or out in the distance or whatever. If you choose to close your eyes and something as we're going along is, um, is, is too much, uh, well then just open them. It's, it's okay. Um, so, um, those are a couple of things that I would say, like one of the biggest practices that is extremely hard for a lot of folks, um, especially coming from high control religious, um, communities is this idea of t- pendulating and titrating mm. which is something that we practice a lot it, it's just what you were saying about like emotion swallowing you whole um it's like the opposite of that um yeah yeah so, can you say more about what that means for people who might not be familiar with the terms like pendulation and titration yeah so if you think about a pendulum that just swings back and forth that's like really the the practice is is kind of going going in and coming out mm-hmm. and um the titrating that's that medical term which is like you kind of you increase or decrease slowly and um that can happen with medication but it can also mm-hmm. you know happen outside of that so it's really that yes. increase or decrease slowly and so uh, what that looks like in practice is you know if there is um a situation around which you feel a lot of distress. Well, we're not going to just like, you know, dive head first off the deep end into that because that was going to cause a lot of distress. Um, and it's just not going to be helpful. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what we're going to do is we're going to work first on resourcing, which is like kind of pulling together all of your, um, we'll just call them coping skills or, um, you know, we'll have, um, yeah, kind of like we'll pull together all those like kind of coping skills that you know, we might've talked about and, and then we'll, we might go in and when it's a lot, we'll come back out and we'll come back out to using with using some of those coping skills. Um, sometimes it can feel really weird because some, you know, some of my clients like often describe their, um, like their morning coffee is their like favorite time of the day, the most like kind of neutral, peaceful, content time of the day. And so we'll be talking about something really big and then, and like we reaches this point where it's kind of time to pendulate back out and I'll say, okay, well, why don't you just describe to me what your coffee was like this morning? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, and demeanor changes, right? And so all of a sudden we're safe again. Yeah. Yeah. I think that really speaks to the benefit of practicing one-on-one with someone who has this 
trauma background where I think groups, I mean, I, I teach yoga in large groups. Like I think there's a benefit to that and working one-on-one can really allow the experience to be personalized and you can really work intentionally to create some safety because the reality is meditation, yoga can feel really unsafe for people who have experienced trauma. And I wonder if that's what you were getting at and talking about um, folks who have like harmful religious backgrounds mm-hmm. or maybe what, what you notice um, are some of the barriers for them mm-hmm. to accessing meditation or other forms of yeah. wellness. Thanks. Yeah. So just like basic and probably what most people think of is like, it feels maybe similar to like a prayer thing and that mm. could be um, triggering. Yes. Um, but beyond that, what I've noticed is like, there is this commitment to unconscious or subconscious commitment to um, like doing the work. Mm. And, um, and so we've got to do the work in order for X, Y, or Z for whatever result. And, and so what that means is that they're, they're just like push like dive, they do the diving off the diving board headfirst into the deep end over and over and over and over because there's this idea, this belief that doing the work um, actually means that. when And so we have to like redefine what doing the work means. And that takes some time to actually accept. But like... It, it's like really doing the work is actually like coming out and telling me about your coffee. Yes. Yes. This resonates so much with my own experience of deconstruction and recovering from my own adverse religious experiences that it's like I, my experience within religion is like, we can't take a break just for pure pleasure. Mm -hmm. Like there's always some higher purpose that we're working towards. There Mm -hmm. is always some, self-improvement that needs to be done because of course we can never be perfect we're always earning our work Um, how do you work with people who have experienced religious harm to kind of shift into this approach of like doing the work doesn't always need to mean diving headfirst into your trauma Hmm. I think one of the things is we might identify what the narrative was when they grew up, like for a lot of people and in a lot of um, authoritarian religious communities, the, there's this over, um, kind of overt or really present suffering servant narrative. Mm. And, yes. um, and so it's like, they're like suffering is like glorified. Yeah. Um, and it were okay. It's like you're suffering for the work of the Lord. Um, and, and that really, like, I think that really takes root. And so that when we're doing this work, which is totally different, um, it's, I'm, I'm asking you to do the exact opposite. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And what I know about Tara Brock is, um, she comes from more of like a Buddhist perspective where they talk a lot about suffering, Um, I'm curious if you, in your work with um, specifically religious trauma survivors or other people, I know you have a background in theology, which 
I assume is not specific to Christianity, but perhaps, no. yeah, I see you shaking your head now. Um, I'm curious if there's ever, or how you integrate other forms of spirituality into the work with clients. Um, yeah, actually, so I'm not sure about what, you know, your own practice looks like, but my practice is, my private practice is based in Massachusetts. And so there are times in which, um, because of the religious makeup of Massachusetts, that my caseload actually is more heavily weighted, uh, with folks who identify as Jewish. Mm. Um, and, and that happens quite often. And Judaism is, I would say, different in a lot of ways from Christianity in that there's, it's, it's quite porous. Um, and, but I, the folks who are coming to speak with me about like religious harm, a lot of times some of their initial questions are like, if you have a background in theology, like I'm not, you know, what if I'm not interested? Mm. And, um, it's that I don't have a stake in the game. Um, and you know, in your like kind of religious affiliation, I think part of the work, uh, through, you know, reconstruction, which is actually what I am most passionate about is the reconstruction process. Um, because that's what I spend a lot of time in with my real academic religious education, yeah. figuring out doing that um, it's what's important is figuring out what each person believes and then like aligning uh, professed and lived beliefs. Mm. And so whether that person, um, you know, I work with clients who, like I said, are Orthodox Jewish or Reformed Jew or Evangelical Christian or atheist or, um, you know, um, in spiritual as in like, into Akashic readings and tarot and, you know, things like this. And so I think first is, is a therapist is like really just figuring out, finding out what's, what is important to the person. Um, and then also inviting, like through questioning, inviting them to incorporate, like what are ways that they can incorporate X, Y, or Z practice that's important to them into their life. Uh, if it's somebody who is, isn't sure and is, is really like in a discovery phase, it's like, okay, well, why don't we um, visit a lot of different things? Like, why, why don't we visit, you, you know, I don't know, yoga or meditation or, you know, temple or uh you know a Sikh service or um mosque or like I there are just like so many different ways to explore spirituality um and I think it's just kind of in figuring out where everyone is at yeah I I know a big thing for me in my religious upbringing was um this sort of like of course, an us versus them mentality that's very common in evangelicalism. Um, and even taking people who identify as spiritual but not religious as like lesser than, that perspective has very much shifted for me where I'm at now. Um, but I'm wondering how with your um, 
much more kind of academic background in this area, how you would describe to a lay person the difference between religion and spirituality, or if there's maybe overlap in those two concepts and terms? Um, well, I would say like nowadays, it's probably one of those things that you have to ask each person what they mean by mm, that. Um, yes. Because I, like I could say, well, um, you know, religion is an organization, whereas mm-hmm. spirituality is, you know, like Paul Tillich says the, you know, that God is the source of all being, the, like mm-hmm. the ground of, of being. And uh, that's quite different from an Orthodox understanding or an Orthodox Christian understanding of who or what the divine is. And, um, and even though Paul Tillich was a Christian theologian. And so I think, but that, that definition, I say, I say that to say that like that definition might be more aligned with something that we might consider spiritual. Right. Um, and so probably like I think spirituality is in a lot of ways just really that um connection with uh something kind of deeper other than yourself or like a deeper self um Mm. what depending on how each person approaches it like kind of understands the sacred yeah yeah for I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, so it's okay if you don't have an answer to this, but for people who might be interested in exploring, um, specifically people maybe coming out of a religious, a harmful religious setting and are interested in exploring what spirituality could look like outside of the realm of high control environments, do you have any recommendations for where people might start? Well, I really do recommend starting with um, really sort of with like experience. So, you know, I, some people do this in, in like their college class, Um, Mm -hmm. but like, I, you know, I've taken a number of classes where uh, on like world religions and where you have to go to different services, different kinds of uh, like, um, sacred spaces. And so I think a really great place to start is, you know, by, uh, attending, uh, you know, Friday night prayer service at a local sangha, uh, by attending, um, as able, you know, Friday night prayers at a mosque, uh, going to, visit a Unitarian Universalist church, going to visit maybe a high Christian church in a low one, right? like, or going to the, those were really just the Abrahamic faiths, but maybe going to the Zen Buddhist temple, uh, nearby. Um, so I, I think first it's, it can be really helpful to start with experience, uh, because you, it just like we were talking before, can provide a lot of information about what resonates and what doesn't. So I I talked about this on YouTube before, but a while back during COVID, I think I I went to a Hillsong service Um, Mm. and Hillsong is this like global evangelical uh, church. And um, that's because 
Uh, right now I'm in Italy and there's like only Catholic uh, churches here and I'm just not Catholic. And um, so I went to a Hillsong one and I just will tell you what, I was, I just was so on edge the entire service, couldn't relax. I just felt like everybody was looking at me. Might not have been true, but it was, that was like my information. Like, okay, Hillsong is not going to be part of my spiritual practice. Um, yeah. And that's okay. Right. And, but like, that's that kind of information that's really helpful. And then like the thing that I've really learned in reflecting on my, I think my deconstruction and reconstruction process was so different than a lot of the other people that I see in um, some of the online spaces, deconstruction spaces that exist, that I exist in is because I, I did a bachelor's and master's degree in theology. And, mm. and like one of the most, I, I think one of the, the things that did change for me, like really just changed my relationship with um, that deconstruction process was conversation. Like in grad school, we went to parties and we talked about like God, you know, like yeah, like the that. house party where you just all sit around and you're like, you know, talking about philosophy and God and stuff. And it was like probably not cool to a lot of people, but like <laughs> <laughs> was the best. And so, but it was like really in those conversations where, um. I was speaking with people who identified as um, atheists or Marxists or like whatever. And they were like, okay, but like, why do you believe that? Like, why are you saying that? And I had to like, be like, I can't just be like, because, you know, actually, it actually like, and they were like, they were these most, like the most like life-giving conversations of hearing what they believe and me saying like, no, I don't, I don't agree with that. Mm. and like here's why yeah yeah that's so powerful even just to give yourself permission to be exposed to all these different perspectives which like within the confine like one of the ways that high control groups maintain their control is limiting access to information Mm. yeah yeah Uh, well to switch gears a little bit and kind of closing out I'm I'm curious what kind of things you're taking in, what you're doing off of screens, maybe outside of the realm of your work to just enjoy life and stay well. I know you mentioned knitting, but are there other books or practices or things you're enjoying right now? Yeah, so um, I am doing a lot of knitting. Um, And aside from that, I'm I'm in a, I'm not, I'm in where I live now. I'm not very rooted in, in this community. And so part of that is like figuring out, um, ways, like I talked a little bit about this is like figuring out ways to make friends as an adult. And, um, so part of that is like trial and error. It's like, okay, maybe I'm going to organize like a knitting meetup, like a happy hour. Um, Mm okay, no, like maybe something else. Um, so that's kind of occupying some of my space, um, going on, do a love to, we love to travel. And so doing a lot of travel, going to 
Paris soon. I saw um, one time recently you posted like you were listening to some sort of Paris coffee yeah. shop uh, playlist. And I was like, that's such a good idea. I'm going to get ready. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> so I've got, um, yeah, and once September starts, I guess, um, soon today, yeah, that um, we've got a lot of kind of kicking off a lot of travel coming up. So feeling like really excited about that. Book-wise, I mean, I just ordered a like huge, a ton of books. Um, they are all work-related. Um, mm-hmm. Outside of work, um, I'm reading, I, mean, I read a lot of books in Italian. Um, You're learning the language, right? Or like, you're pretty fluent in it now, but still, yeah. it's not your first language. Yeah, I speak Italian. Um, it's not my first language, it, full of errors, um, but um, but fairly fluent. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I, I will link in the show notes all the ways people can connect with you, but for people who are you know, auditory learners, where can people follow your work and, and learn more about you? Yeah. So on Instagram or on YouTube, Theology Therapist, um, you can connect with me there and all the links to, to stay in touch uh, are in both of those. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here, Hannah. Um, it's been really great to chat with you. Thanks, Carrie. <laughs> This has been another conversation with your friend, the therapist. To follow the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at your friend, the therapist pod, and you can follow my work as a trauma therapist and yoga teacher on Instagram at Carrie Fillion Psychotherapy or my website, carriefillion.com. Take care and stay well.